Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned into the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools of their success portfolio. I'm joined today by Damon Burton, the founder of SEO National and the author of OutRank, your guide to making more online by showing up higher on search engines and outranking your competition. Let's head on over to the interview. Damon, welcome to the show. What's up, Eric? Hey, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you making the time, man. And, and Damon, before we really dive deep into the entrepreneurial story of yours and the expertise you have in search engine optimization or SEO for, for the novices out there, including myself, uh, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to this show, a quick background on how to view this is to just think of a, an investment portfolio. Simplistically, what are the financial aspects that you invest in to build your financial future? Well, here on The Eric Mueller Show, I want to discover how successful people like Damon invest in themselves and build that foundation for their success. So Damon, start us off here. What are some skills, traits, habits, or mindsets that make up your success portfolio? Uh, For for me specifically, and the reason why I started that way is because uh, I think more entrepreneurs should embrace the idea of realizing that not everybody's advice is the best advice for everybody. So what may work for one entrepreneur may not work for others. So as you as you continue your entrepreneurial journey, a good way to look at when people share what works for them is to try and figure out how you can translate the the meaningfulness of how they apply it in their life and then compare that to your life and see if there's like a, a, a translation to make it more applicable. So for me, um, you know, I invest heavily in my team and I invest heavily in the relationships with my clients. And, and you know, uh, maybe a, a short example of that is I built a multi-million dollar agency without ever spending a dollar on ads. So I have no form of lead generation. I have no sales team. I have no funnel. I have no email list. Um, and we consistently grow. I mean, just in the last week, um, I made a post about how I calculated. We've added five new clients and $268,000 in additional annual recurring revenue in just a couple of days and it, with no form of legion. And so p- the way that that works is, is by investing in the people that you surround yourself with the people you want to attract. So like on the team side of that answer, you know, if you really take care of the team as you start to build it, whether it's your first team member or your 20th or your 60th, um, prioritize them as a human first instead of a capital asset. And then they will be willing to have loyalty to you and, and, and make decisions on your behalf for your benefit. And then on the client side, you know, the way that we obviously we get leads, we're converting people, but the way we get leads without doing any lead generation is very similar. So I give without expecting in return. And so as you as you follow um, people online, or like in my case, um, I write a book and like all these things I do in my online posts, I almost never have a call to action. And a lot of people out there that are social media experts will say monetize everything. And, you know, maybe that works. But for me, I take the opposite approach because when you position a post and you're like, here's value, here's value, here's value, by the way, sign up for my thing, that then you take from them at that last moment and it changes the mindset. So if you give without expecting in return, what happens is people start to build a following for you. They, they establish a subconscious trust and relationship with you and they begin to see you as the expert in what you offer. So when they or somebody they know needs what you offer, then it no longer becomes a 
a sales decision. They just go to you because you are now the only option. Yeah. So kind of more that organic approach, right? Is, is that, um, you know, kind of get, getting into really the meat of, of what you do with, with search engine optimization and, and being able to rank high on like a Google or a Bing search without having to spend ad dollars, you know, that would be viewed as like an organic way to, to, to garner traffic and garner leads and potentially convert for a sale. Do you find that, is that the, a fit, you know, is that, is that a mold that could fit every business or is that something that, are there certain people out there listening that paying for ads is a, is a viable option or are you just thinking that that's just, you, you can do it without that regardless of the, of the industry that you're in? It's both. So I, I never throw rocks at other other forms of marketing um, because in my mind, it's if it's profitable, then then it sounds like a good option. So you can do both. You can do paid ads and you can do organic. And, and I also wouldn't say that one is required over the other. And there are certainly circumstances where one is better or worse than than other. And so basically, you know, probably the simplest start of a decision. There's multiple decisions to make when you're going to invest in marketing. But maybe one of the one of the first few you consider is: Do you have more time, or do you have more money? And so, depending on the answer to that, you know, if you have more money um, and more patience, then in certain circumstances, paid ads work. So, paid ads works because you can dump a lot of capital in it quickly and get data. That doesn't mean you you profit quickly, but you can figure out the path quickly. Um, but you're probably gonna have to burn a lot of money to find the answer in the path, but you can start very quickly. SEO has similar pros and cons, but for different reasons. So. SEO, the biggest disadvantage is it takes time. You're, you're building up the reputation and credibility of your website. And so you're months into this or if in a hyper-competitive industry, it could be years. But your profit margins, once you get there, are a lot higher. And you can certainly do both. So it, I would look at it from a profitability standpoint on the individual marketing type more than a comparison of the marketing types. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm following you there. It is, um, w- would you say if, if someone is is starting a you know, online business that doesn't have a brick and mortar location. You know, I, at least I would think that SEO and developing that from the, from the beginning would be very important. What, what would you say are, or maybe, maybe there's a case study of a success story or somebody that you've worked with, you know, the very, very beginning stages of how to do that. So, I mean, you look at, you know, you could, you could research and find out, you know, different people, you know, like yourself that would advise you on, on ways to build, you know, your search engine optimization and be able to rank high and, and whatnot. There are some people out there that that charge and you know, say they'll put you at a certain spot. I've always mm-hmm. felt a little bit skeptical about that because, you know, the algorithms of, of Google are also like it seems like it's changing somewhat like Instagram, different social media. Those algorithms are seem to be dynamic and change over time. But if we have someone that that is starting, you know, let's say they started an on, a small online Shopify store and they want to just rank higher in that in that niche. What would be some like beginning steps that they could take, Damon, to start to build SEO that would that could grow over time and bring in organic leads? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of really easy ways to start that that anybody could do that aren't overly complicated. Um, before I jump into that, you bring up a good question. I'll touch on like the experts that promise specifics, right? So in general, guarantees in the world of marketing should be a red flag. They sound attractive, but when you get guarantees, more often than not, it's a sales presentation of what the person thinks that you want to hear to convert you. The The probability of a guarantee, especially in a position on organic, is highly unlikely uh, for, for a variety of reasons, and especially if they guarantee a certain position within a certain time frame. Because the algorithms change, which we can talk about algorithms maybe here in a minute, those also are not as complicated as people think, but they are always changing. 
So because the search results vary by the query, the industry, the competition, the changing algorithms, there's literally no way to predict at what position, at what time you will be. So the best marketers will answer you transparently and will tell you that, but but they can give averages. They can give you an average based on their experience. You know, it may take this many months and you may fall in line in this range of positions. That's a realistic expectation you should have. Now, when you, when you start SEO on your own, the, there's really two areas that I would start with. And, and you can look at both of them pretty simplistically. So one is design and one is content. So on the design side of things, focus on simplistic simplicity and minimalism. There's countless data out there, and I've seen it in my personal experience, that the most simplistic minimalistic websites with clear call to action consistently converts better than overly complicated, visually stunning designs. The reason why is because the more visually stunning it is, the more distracting it is. So what you should do is simplify everything to necessities. Do you really need to say that word? Do you really need to add that image? Or did you add that image just because you felt it looked cool? People don't care about what looks cool. They care about will your website solve their problem. So on the design side of things, focus on simplicity and good user experience. So on the good user experience side, two things come to mind. One is page speed and one is mobile friendliness. So if you focus on a simplistic design, by default, your design is probably going to be pretty mobile friendly too. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we can get into on how to truly see if your website's mobile friendly, but just stick to the, the, the simple designs. On the page speed, I'll give you a free tool. Um, there's a website called GT Metrics. It's just the letters GTMetrix.com. If you go there, you type in your website, it'll tell you your page speed. And if it's slow, it'll tell you why it's slow. It'll tell you what specific image is oversized. It'll tell you which line of code is causing the thing to be slow and bottlenecked. So when you look at a search engine, Google basically says, treat me like a user. And users don't like slow websites. Therefore, I am not going to position you high if your website is slow. So start with the design. But where you're really going to have your, your gains is in your content. You can only show up on Google for what Google can read. So you need to clearly communicate your value propositions and why you're better than the competition. So your visibility is going to come from there, but only if you have a solid design for it to lean on. Perfect. Yeah, I think that that's should be a great starting point for anybody out there listening. If you know, just the very bare bones, how to how to begin, you know, kind of to demystify, because when you think of SEO, at least in my opinion, it sounds scary. You know, it's kind of like one of those, you know, maybe pieces of a business that you don't really want to think about or you think you're maybe underqualified to address. But yeah, Damon, I think that that's a really good start. And and moving further into, you know, let's say you got that design, you found you found your page speed, you know, is, is decent enough. It's good enough for, you know, to compete with with other people in your industry. Your content is solid. You have, you know, some some customers that are saying, you know, this is solving the problem. It's working. You know, you have a very low, you know, return rate if you if you're selling a product. And so moving forward past that, what what are other steps that that might solidify you in, you know, maybe maybe this kind of gets into your story on on how you you were able to actually beat, you know, a billion dollar company with their own brand in the search on on a major search engine. Maybe sharing that story would help. But but yeah, kind of tying it even further to, you know, moving forward with that SEO, once you build those bare bones, how to continue to grow it and, and not uh, fall behind the competition, so to speak. So we, we can tie together a couple things with this answer. You know, one of them was about algorithms and the frequency of changes. And, and if you, so we talked about um, content, we talked about structure, and there's really only one other 
fulfillment part component of SEO, at least in my mind. So you got structure content and the third is external credibility. So do other websites mention your brand, your product or link to your website? Now, what happens is if you keep everything simple and you focus on just those three things and these algorithms come and go, Google rolls out minor algorithm updates daily, major updates every few months. But in the 17 years I've been doing this, I've never had a client get a penalty. And every time these algorithms roll out, at the least they're neutral, if not positive. And the reason why is because they don't get caught up in gaming the system. Like a, a really ironic way to look at SEO is the best way to do it is to not do SEO. And so what I mean by that is to don't get caught up in the algorithms. Don't get caught up in your objective shouldn't be to game the system. Your objective should be to solve the problems of your consumers. And so when we look at those three areas of fulfillment of structure, content, credibility, on a structure, you solve the consumer's problems by having a user-friendly website. That's why page speed and, and design matters. When we talk about solving the user's problems in content, it's does your website offer a unique perspective or solve their problem or guide them to the solution? And then the third area of solving a customer's problem is on external credibility. Do other websites validate that your website is the solution? And so if you keep it simple on that, then you no longer have to care about the algorithms. I don't chase the algorithms every day. I don't go look at what's come out. Anytime there's like a social media panic in the world of SEO, there's the latest algorithm and this type of niche got crushed. I'll go spot check things and I'll look at our client portfolio just as a safety check. And there's never anything negative that happens. So if you just focus on solving a problem, then you don't have to worry about things. So when I when I when we take that in consideration, we go into the story of outranking a billion dollar company, I've done that more than once. And I've done that now for clients as well. Now, the very first story is probably the funnest. And so I'll share that one. So this was before I started my agency. This was back in 2006. So it was about a year or two before I started my agency. Uh, my wife was watching uh, ABC's The Bachelor, so the reality romance show. And she says, hey, come in. They're doing the season finale. And so I'm sitting with my wife. And from what I had remembered from previous season finales, they would leave a cliffhanger. And so it was like, hey, thanks for watching. Come back in a few weeks or a few months and see who the new guy is. But this time they said, come back after the commercial break. And we're going to tell you who the new guy is. And so I was new into entrepreneurship, but but I had some of the thought processes already. So when I heard that, it, my mind was going, well, that was intentional. So why are they positioning the new guy now versus in a few weeks? And so I waited, we watched, we saw who the new guy was. And so then I went and searched him up. I'm like, what is different about this guy? Um, it was a gentleman named Andy Baldwin. And so I go search Andy Baldwin and I could find just a handful of things on him. And me being familiar with search engines and having a hard time finding a lot about this guy, I realized I could solve a problem, right? We talked about solving problems. And so if I know how to navigate search engines and I'm still having this hard of a time and I don't really care about this guy and there's legions of fans that are going to soon be diehard and they don't have as familiar familiar as familiarity of navigating search engines, how much harder is it going to be for them? So then I built this unofficial fan site for this guy. And within a I took 90 minutes, maybe two hours, just did it right there, told my wife after the show, I'm gonna be in the other room for a minute. Um, and this was in this was before I started my agency, but I had been dabbling with SEO on my own project site. So I applied what I knew. And within just a couple of days, I was outranking ABC for their own branded term bachelor. And I went in to make passive income on that site. Um, I repeated that concept on other types of things. I did it one more year on The Bachelor. I think they caught on after that because as soon as they started announcing the guy, then they would release their their websites. Like they'd have them ready. 
And you take that concept. And if you, if you think about it, it's like what I said, it, it just solved a problem. What the problem was is people wanted to find, have easy access to more information about this guy and it didn't exist. And, and so now we take that and we apply, we apply it to these mega corporations. I mean, we've worked with multi-billion dollar international companies and it's the same thing. We still have you know, mom and pops from day one that are with us from 17 years ago. And it doesn't matter if you're on this end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum. It's the same fulfillment model across the board. Yeah, Damon, that 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 story is so cool. I'm I'm glad that you shared that with us. I mean, that's really, you know, kind of a unique way to, you know, you saw you saw a problem that that you didn't even really necessarily need the answer to yourself, but you knew other people were gonna were gonna need that and want that. And so you captured that at that moment. And I think that that's really like at least at the core of what I think entrepreneurship is for most people. It's just like, can you solve a problem that it, that does exist? Mm-hmm. And is your solution valuable to the customer? Or, you know, is, is, it, is it valuable compared to the competition as well? So in this particular scenario, you know, there wasn't a competition or a competitor because ABC had not created their own website or promos for that, that client, right? And so you were able to, you know, kind of be the only mover in the space. And so that's an advantage. But one other thought I had when we were talking about the simplicity of design, I thought back to a lot of websites that I've seen where it's it's a call to action to you know subscribe to a person's masterclass or whatever their industry might be, and you go to the website and it's like pages and pages and pages and pages of you know it's like testimonials, videos, and there's always a you know sign up like email bar, but it's literally you could scroll for like a full ninety seconds to get from the top to the bottom. At least on the service level, I would think that that probably doesn't rank super high on on a search engine. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if the page seed speed is maybe fast enough. Have you seen that in your experience, Damon? Is that something that that people should avoid doing, or is it also is it effective? I, I could be wrong on it. So th- th- those are effective in a different form of marketing. So I'm big in um, you know any any of the listeners that are familiar with the world of funnels and click funnels. Um, the gentleman that started that movement is uh, Russell Brunson, and I'm in. His, I'm actually wearing the shirt today. Um, I'm in his private mastermind inner circle. And so those types of websites um, are funnels and landing pages. So those are not used. Yes, they will not rank well. You are correct. But what the, the people that run those, their intention isn't ranking them. So there's a big difference. This brings up an opportunity to talk about um, different types of customer mindsets based on how you approach marketing. So those funnels and landing pages work really well for paid ads. And the reason why is because when you run a paid ad, you're targeting a different type of mindset. You, you are stereotyping a buyer persona. So when you purchase the ad placement, you you generally stereotype, are they male or female? Are they in this age group? Or they, do they enjoy these types of demographic things? But when you compare that to organic, you're not stereotyping a persona. You're you're solving a problem based on a, a need, and so you're targeting the pain points. Now, the messaging on the landing page. We'll talk about the pain points, but that's generally not what brings them in. What generally brings them in on those landing pages is you stereotype a group of people, and then a, then it's a numbers game. A percentage of them are going to be a match. So those cor- correct do not rank well for some of the reasons you mentioned and more. So generally they don't rank well because um, the, there's not a depth to the site. Because when you look at organic, Google wants to rank a website that solves problems. And so that usually requires a lot of text and knowledge that you're giving to, to the searchers. And those landing pages are generally single pages, maybe two pages um, that 
work really well with paid ads because you just want to get the person in and out while you have their attention. So they work effectively, but for completely different reasons. So yes, they don't rank well, but they do work effectively for other forms of marketing. Okay. Yeah. That, that clears it up a little bit. Cause I think, you know, that, that makes sense the way you explained that with, uh, you know, funneling people down and you know that that individual page is not what you're going to have, you know, be the one that's searched, but you're going to get people to it in a different route. Right. So it's like, you know, they're going to land on that page. It's not necessarily because they searched something and found it that way. But also, you know, furthermore on, you know, just building, you know, organic leads, we kind of talked about a little bit that you're, you don't throw rocks at other forms of marketing. Situations when it might behoove you to pay for ads, can we walk through maybe a scenario where, or, or a client story that you've had where, you know, paying for an ad spend or, or creating a campaign was a smart idea and did maybe in turn it also builds their organic uh, lead gen into the future, you know, that one paid campaign? Yeah, so ads certainly have their time and place. Um, it basically is a choice of time or money. Now, now I'll, I'll, one thing for certainty, and people argue this with me, um, but I'm right and they're wrong. The, the paid ads do not influence organic, but organic can influence paid ads. So paid ads don't influence organic because the metrics are different and there's also a, a morality behind it, right? Like you can't pay to play for positions within organic or, or it defeats the the soul of that type of intent and that would that would corrode um the credibility of of the search engine now organic does influence paid ads because part of your ad quality part of your ad placement is based on an ad quality score so it's not just who pays the most it's also based on user experience so how relevant is the ad to the landing page you're sending them to so the the content this is how seo starts to help because the content on the landing page has been optimized to solve a problem so that aligns with the ad also because you made sure it's mobile friendly and it loads quickly that improves a better user experience which decreases your cost per click now the reason why um, platforms facebook google will reward you for a more efficiently optimized website is because the platform will ping your landing page before they direct a user to it. And when they ping it, if it's not user-friendly, if it's irrelevant, or if it's painfully slow, they know the probability of that person converting has now decreased. And if the probability of them converting has decreased, you're less likely to throw more ad money into the platform because you're not getting a return on your investment. So those platforms are going to go, give me Eric's money now. But if they ping it and loads quickly, it's user-friendly, has good content, they're like, cool. Eric's customer is probably going to convert better. And if he has a good, consistent level of conversion, he's going to keep coming back. So let's discount it and bet on the life of this account. So there is situations where um, organic helps um, paid. Now, as far as like examples of clients, um, yeah, we have lots of clients that also do paid. We don't service the paid side, but we see the, the performance in, in analytics as we're looking at the organic data. But what you'll notice is like the, the biggest opportunity for paid ads is speed to market or at least exposure i don't want to say speed to profitability because you have to burn money to get data to find out the right paid audience but you can have speed to exposure and then the other thing you have is predictable scalability so you can put in a dollar in and get two dollars out seo is a little bit more of a wild card it might be a dollar in nothing out dollar in nothing out and then dollar in five thousand out seo has a bigger compounding impact in hockey stick but it takes longer but with paid ads faster exposure to market, but you end up hitting a point of dilution at some point as you scale and you get a dollar in two out, a dollar in two out, it becomes a dollar in a dollar fifty out, 
a dollar in, a dollar ten cents out. So it's still profitable. You can still increase your reach, but the margins begin to decrease. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that uh, that certainly is is probably different than what I initially thought about. You know that particular question. I'm wondering if if people in the audience are feeling the same way, and it could be just that. You know, a lot of a lot of people that are starting off in entrepreneurship, it's probably, I would say, and maybe you'd agree with the statement. It's like focus on focus on your content. Content is king, but it also begs the question of is is all of that treated equally in terms of search engines? So I mean, like if you have if you have a niche that's you know maybe maybe you have you know a floral company or you're a florist that you you know you're able to make the best you know floral arrangements for for any sort of party. Is that content necessarily going to be able to compete with other, you know, bigger, you know, plant? You know, I it's kind of getting into the into the weeds, you know, no pun intended there, but it's it's like, are all the content spaces treated equally in terms of SEO, or is are there cer- certain aspects of the search engine that it's going to preference if you start, you know, something in tech and it's you know you have something that's that's more driven to, I guess, get more clicks or get more more traffic to that website. On the organic side, um, not not necessarily. Like, in, I would say that it co- the value of content is fairly industry agnostic, um, meaning that it is beneficial to any industry. Now, you probably have different levels of competition across industries, um, and and some content in different quality and different quantities may work faster or slower, but. There, there's not a situation where content, as long as it's unique and value added, would not be beneficial. Okay, yeah. So, so if you if you have someone that that comes to you comes to SEO National, what what would you say would be like an ideal client for you? Or if you know, I know you're not you know big on a call to action, so to speak. But if someone wanted to work with you, who are you looking for? Who who are the ideal clients that that you think that you could bring their their business into a successful framework within? you know, their search engine optimization? So I can answer that a couple of ways. Um, one is, you know, which, which types of clients that have the highest probability of quicker success uh, are generally websites that have some sort of historical content. A lot of times what we see is the ones that can rank the quickest are ones that have made an effort or at least added value online, but there can be gaps in the in in the structures. We talked about structure, content, credibility. So, like, there's an example of a client. Well, I won't say who they are, but um, we're we've only been with them for for 80 days, maybe. And um, big brand, um, household name, lots of historical content, but the website was just rough. It was just brutal. And so, when we talk about the majority of your visibility coming from the content credibility, but that will only be effective if you have a solid foundation. These guys are a great example of that because they had lots of content, but because the website was slow and it wasn't mobile friendly, we were able to come in there and just fix the structure. And we're only 80 days in. It took us about half of that time to finish fixing the structure. And then just another you know, month, four, six weeks after structure fixes we really haven't even started dripping our own content we've just fixed the structure and amplified their historical content um i'm gonna i'm gonna be off slightly but i've gone off the top of my head what it had done was increased their organic traffic 46 percent and their conversion um the revenue 84 percent in 90 days and so a good candidate is somebody that has something to work with now that, that's certainly not required. It's just an example of how to accelerate things. Now, as far as the personality type, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have 
built a reputation and not be dying for business. So my personal number one priority is not jerks. And so I don't have as much of a preference as the industry. Um, I definitely have a higher priority on who the point of contact is. So the the point of contacts that provide the most efficient type of engagement are those um, are, are generally founder-led businesses that have a few years underneath them because they're seasoned enough to understand the value of hiring experts and getting out of the way. But they also care enough because it's still their baby that they're available and resourceful when we need their support with something. Yeah, I, I think I, I love the the way you you speak on, you know, that personality type and not wanting to work with jerks and being in a position of, you know, having having had a, a successful, you know, founding of your own company to be able to have that power, so to speak, and be able to make those decisions and not, you know, so you don't necessarily need to work with someone that's not going to, you know, bring emotional stability into your life more or less. And so I think that's a great p- place to be at. And really, Damon, I also wanted to to kind of get into that that story with the starting of your company, SEO National. You know, that founding, you shared the the bachelor, you know, the the story of, of doing that before you started the agency. But what, uh, you know, what were the kind of the steps that led you to start this company? And when did you realize that it was something that that looked like it was going to be successful and was providing value to people out there? So I had a, a former employer get shut down and raided by the FTC and the ATF and the local sheriff's department. Oh, man. And so what had happened was I had started building up clients on the side. I had an opportunity for, to work for a company. I'm in Utah and I was offered a position um, with a company that was in Vegas and they wanted me to relocate. I was newly married, still with my wife. Um, but at the time we didn't have any kids, but I knew kids were were in the cards. And so I didn't want to move to Vegas and eventually have a family there. And so I said, you know, I'm interested in the job, but I'm not interested in moving. And they said, okay, well, you can work remotely. We'll maybe revisit that down the road. And so I took that as an opportunity to work on my side hustle in the mornings. And and at the time, my wife worked at a hospital. So she'd get up at 3 a.m. to go to work by 4. And so I figured, why not take advantage of the flexibility and get up early with her? And I'd use that window in the morning from 4 to 8 to work on Vegas's stuff. And so my nine to five was done by 8 a.m. And then that afforded me the rest of the day to continue to work on my side hustle. And so what had happened was the the this was before Slack and things like that. And so we, we would communicate through AOL Instant Messenger. And I was trying to get a hold of of the company in Vegas and, and nobody was responding. And so I I called them and then nobody was responding. And then I get a message. I was kind of the informal design lead at the time for the company. And and one of the other remote team members messaged me and said, did you hear what happened? And I said, no, I can't get a hold of anybody. And that's when I found out they got shut down. And so what had happened was the gentleman um, that owns it had a business before that that had a, a civil suit. The civil suit ended up in multi-million dollar settlement, but he didn't have a criminal suit. The criminal suit caught up to him. And then when they started investigating on the criminal suit, they also started paying attention to his new company. And because they had a bone to pick with them, they found some stuff that they were going to rake him over the coals with the second company too. So the company got shut down. And at that moment, I had a choice. I had three choices. One was to see if I still had a job. The other was to move on and find another job. Or the third option was to bet on myself. And so at the time, I I looked at the position and I was about to lose 60% of my income because my side hustle was making enough that it was about 40%. My wife had a job. You know, We only had a mortgage and a car payment. Um, we didn't have kids yet. And so we wouldn't have disposable income, but we could still pay our bills. And so I figured that would be 
as calculated as a risk of an opportunity I would have, and, you know, as time moved on and they had more responsibilities and debt and kids, um, that window of time and, um, flexibility and expenses would get smaller and smaller. And so I, I figured that was probably the best opportunity I'd ever get. Um, so I ended up betting on myself, which freed up, you know, the, the day job was 60% of my income, but it was 80% of my time. Um, and so freeing that up, I was able to make that income back in just two or three months, you know, back then it was relative. It was like, um, I think I was making like 30 grand from the day job and 25 grand on the side. Um, so I was able to get back to 50 something within two or three months. And, and so I think all of us, when, when we have an opportunity, um, it's very, it's, it's usually unlikely that you can methodically plan your introduction into entrepreneurship. And so you have to be willing to build up your skill set. And then at some point you have to take a risk, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Yeah, Damon, that story is awesome. I, I, it makes me smile just hearing you talk about that. And, and you know, the, the discipline you had to, to see that opportunity to get up early with, you know, with your wife and, and work on your day job work so that you could free up the rest of your day. And you also shared, you know, when you, when you reach a point, you know, you might reach a point out there, you know, as a listener where you, you take a, a pay cut in the short term to do something that could potentially pan out way more monetarily beneficial for you in the long term. Or it, it might not, but at least you know that you took that risk and you bet on yourself and you tried it. And, you know, the entrepreneurial game, at least in my opinion, it's, you know, it's a game of, of numbers and you got to throw enough, enough darts to the wall and hope that something sticks at some point. If you stick with it long enough, you should be successful. At least that's my opinion. That's it's kind of quoting Mr. Wonderful from, from Shark Tank there. Um, but, but Damon, yeah, thank, thank you so much for, for coming on here and, and talking about, you know, SEO, teaching us how to start at the bare bones and really just, you know, not, not being afraid of it, I think is what I'm kind of taking away from it is not being fearful of, you know, thinking and kind of getting in that loop and, and that self-doubt of, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with it because there are simplistic steps to take. The last thing I do want to ask you, Damon, and it kind of, kind of relates back to the success portfolio and really kind of the beginning of investing in yourself and your story of betting on yourself is, is a perfect segue into what do you define success to be? Because I think that's another aspect that you need to know where you're going or how you define success to, to say if you are successful. And it's a subjective thing, but I'm curious to ask right now what you'd say success is and has that changed for you over time? Yeah, the last two things you said are, are completely applicable is, you know, the specificity of my answer right now because yes, it has changed over time. Um, I think the majority of us get into entrepreneurship or consider it for financial incentive. Um, but what happens is once you, you, you have, there's very specific moments in which that generally pivots. And so the first moment is when you get your basic needs met. And so once you're afforded the comfort of security, uh, I'm not saying, you know, you're, you're rolling in dough yet, but you're no longer worried about it. Um, that then that affords you the ability to slow down and get a little bit of clarity. So that's kind of the first thing is usually financial incentive. Well, once you start to get clarity because your base needs are met, then you then you start to dial in the financial incentive and what the goals are and maybe specific numbers. But then you also start to pay attention to your ecosystem. Like as I grow, who do I want to surround myself with, both both personally and professionally, the types of clients. And then the the next phase after that is uh, probably uh, impact. You start to think about impact more uh, specifically, like your family, 
um, legacy, things like that. And then ultimately, the majority of us that find success will probably say that at some point, the next dollar doesn't even matter. Um, you know, I've heard statistics say it's like 250,000. I would probably agree with that. I, I think it's probably around, I don't know, the economy now is significantly different um, and, and dollars are getting thinner and thinner. But I think in general, $150,000, um, a lot of people are going to, you know, I, I completely understand that's unrelatable for a lot of people. If you're fortunate enough to to reach those benchmarks, I don't think you notice at that moment, but I think you notice once you've had that under your belt for a little bit of time, that as you've added, maybe, maybe you go from 150 to 250 and then you go from 250 to five. And then in retrospect, you then you go, you know what? None of that has mattered. Like none of that has made a significant difference. And then the things that you start to pay attention to are freedom of time. The, the ultimate answer for me is certainly freedom of time. Um, the, the ability to build a lifestyle by design where I can have total flexibility with my family right before you and I jumped on, I was talking with my wife, I got a kid that's homesick today and, and I can just go, whatever. I could drop this at any moment and the business would be fine. Clients would be fine. Communication's fine. Profitability's fine. So ultimately, I think you want to build something that is by your design. That's powerful stuff, Damon. That that really, that hits home. It makes me feel good. Hopefully out there, you as a listener feel good as well, hearing everything that Damon Burton shared with us today. Damon, if someone wants to reach out and connect with you and learn more, is there a best way to do that? Are you on any social media? Yeah, super simple. DamonBurton.com and you can find your social media preference of choice. And then if you want to learn more about SEO, there's also a free book there. Boom. Well, we'll tag all that on the show notes and I'll tag on the social posts for this episode, all the ways to contact with Damon on social media as well. Damon Burton, the founder of SEO National and the author of Outrank. Cannot thank you enough for making the time today. We'll look forward to following your journey and we'll catch up with you soon. Okay.